They're trying to indoctrinate your children with a worldview that is anti-Bible and anti-Christ. And if you are lukewarm, if you are apathetic like Lot was, and Jesus said that is what will characterize most believers at the end of time, you won't be able to protect your children from these things. You won't have the discernment to know the kinds of decisions you need to make. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Today, Pastor Carl will be preaching on the warning from Lot's worldly compromise, corruption, and calamity. Proverbs chapter 13 verse 20 reminds us that he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Please, Join us in Genesis chapter 13 as we continue. They say, oh, you know, we've got all these kids who, you know, they get to be 13 and they think they need to have a sex change and this and that. Of course you've been polluting their minds since they were little. That's what they're being taught. What do they hear on the playground when they rise up? Foul language. Dirty internet sites that their friends have been visiting. What do they read when they walk by the way? That this is a drug-free zone. Or that the bathrooms are gender neutral. And again, Christians who are there, they have to put their light under the basket. And my concern is for those who work there, because what's coming down the pike is, will their conscience be violated? And they have to have enough moxie and enough spiritual steel where they must say, we must obey God rather than men, and if it means losing their job and quitting or being fired, then they need to do what is right. Our schools have changed. They've become anti-God, anti-Jesus, anti-Christian, anti-Bible, and the Lord of truth is not welcome there at all. We're not to see how close we can get into Sodom without being influenced by Sodom. Look, I spoke to Ray Moore, who's been on Dr. Dobson a few times, and he's the head of ExodusMandate.org, a great organization. And I thought what he shared with me this past week was very wise. He's worshipped with us here a number of times over the years. and He said, you know, you've got all these grandparents who are trying to help their kids out with tuition money for college. He said they should take that money and put it in tuition money for kids in grammar school and high school. And I thought that's a very wise statement, Ray. Because by the time they get to college, if they've been in public education, if you put them in kindergarten all the way through high school, where everything is mitigating against the Holy Scripture and you expect that the product will be godly, there's too much going against you, too much Scripture that's being violated. Now, I am not saying that you can't reach a point where your kids can be strong and take a stance. We home educated our children and they went to college, they went to Liberty, they went to the University of South Carolina, they went to the Citadel, they went to Clemson, they went to George Mason Law, they went to Harvard Law School, they went to Harvard Business School. But not before their blood ran bibline where they had the spiritual steel where they could stand up in the midst of those pagan institutions. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said. For the report of your obedience is reached to all. Therefore, I am rejoicing over you, but I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. 
Likewise, in 1 Corinthians 15, he warns, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Now, if you know those two verses, then you know both are in the context of what people are being taught, that the bad company are false teachers. He's referring to so-called Bible teachers who are espousing what is false. They're corrupting good morals to conform people to their way of thinking. And the same is happening in the public school system because education is a powerful ally, as Charles Potter said, to humanism. They're trying to indoctrinate your children with a worldview that is anti-Bible and anti-Christ. And if you are lukewarm, if you are apathetic like Lot was, and Jesus said that is what will characterize most believers at the end of time, you won't be able to protect your children from these things. You won't have the discernment to know the kinds of decisions you need to make. And so there's this vacuum where God was kicked out of our schools and has been quickly filled with a number of controversial subjects like secular humanism, like critical race theory that has nothing to do with racial equality. I hope you know that. And socialism and Marxism and intersectionality and a a biblical morality that has been replaced with perversion. You need to be alert. You need to guard your heart that the spirit of the age not capture your heart. Look, it's amazing to me how these parents will go and bring their little children to some library like in Greenville, South Carolina, where you have some guy dressed up like a woman, a drag Bible reading, and now churches are doing it on Sunday morning. When people lose their minds, they lose their morality. When people become immoral, they become insane. And that's the culture that we are living in, a depraved culture. And if this ministration has its way, if what was written in that executive order on Wednesday unfolds the way I think it is, we are headed for huge trouble in this nation. Now understand, no form of Christian education is a magic bullet. If you traffic in filth during the week and you think you can just homeschool your kids or put them in a Christian school and everything will be fine, you will be misled. But your goals don't need to be undone if you're walking with the Lord because greater is he that is in you who is in the world. Listen, here's the top problems that the American public school system had when I was in public school in the 1960s. Talking out of turn, chewing gum, running in the halls, making noise, not putting your paper in the wastebaskets, getting out of turn in line. Those were the top six problems. Here's some of the problems in 2022. Rape, robbery, assault, personal theft, absenteeism, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, bombings, arson, the carrying of weapons, vandalism, mass shootings, extortion, gang warfare, warfare, um, unwed pregnancies, abortion, suicide, lying, cheating, bullying, gender dysphoria, fornication, homosexuality, and transgenderism. So please consider the alternatives. The day has changed. You should try to do everything in your power to get your children out of the government school system because it is thoroughly evil and you will not be able to obey the great and foremost commandment that God has entrusted to you. Proverbs says, He who walks with the wise will be wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. 
And often, sometimes, even in what we would consider to be a good public school, because they're walking with fools and with children who are being immersed in paganism, they become foolish themselves. Add to that, if your child is a Christian, he soon becomes the object of bullying. Because he stands for what is right. No, I I don't want to look at that. Why don't you want to look at this? All the kids look at porn on their phones. Why don't you want to look at it? Because I'm a Christian. And they will be bullied to no end. And if you don't think this is happening in Beaufort County, you are deceived, my friend. I hear of it in my office in counseling. It is happening all across this state. And so if the Pew Research in 2019 assessment is correct, they said 73% of teenagers who identify themselves as evangelical Christians by the time they get to college walk away from the faith. Barna said 79%. Josh McDowell said 81%. But that doesn't surprise me because 90% of evangelical Christian children are either in the public school or the secular private school. So this was the first step to the disintegration of Lot's family. Worldly compromise. It was a respectable sin. We're not going to live in Sodom. We're just going to live on the edge. That's phase one. Phase two. His moral compromise then leads to corruption. So learn from the warning from Lot's corruption. The warning from Lot's corruption. First, he compromises by thinking he can live on the edge of sin. But before long, he's caught up in sin, and it leads to corruption. Turn over to the next chapter, to Genesis 14. And as you're turning there, let me remind you what the Apostle John wrote under the Spirit of God. Do not love the world, nor the things that are in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, he's not talking about the people of this world. For God so loved the world, he gave his Son. Jesus was a friend of sinners. What he is speaking of is the world system, their way of thinking. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world, and the world is passing away, and also it's lust, but the one who does the will of God abides forever. And so our goal is not to see how close we can get to sin without sinning, but how far away from sin we should be. And so God is giving this warning. And in Genesis 14, we have the record of this confederacy of kings that attacks Sodom, and the people are forced to flee, and Lot is captured. Look at um, uh, verses 11 and 12. Then they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah, and all their food supply and departed, departed. They also took Lot, Abram's nephew, and his possessions and departed, for he was living now, notice, in Sodom. He's not living on the edge anymore. He's living in Sodom. So his compromise led to corruption. He no doubt deceived himself. And the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can understand it? First, he rationalizes, we'll just live in the suburbs. But now he's living in the city. And he's going to get more entrenched as we move through this. Maybe he thought, hey, it's a lot simpler to live inside the city. We won't have to travel all the time. It'd be easier to get the kids in Sodom High. Or maybe his daughters pressured them. Maybe his sons pressured him. Dad, all our friends go to Sodom High School. Why can't we go there? Dad, all our friends go to this church over there. It's compromise. The preachers drink. They use R-rated movies as illustrations in their sermon. But that's where all our friends go. Dad, can't we go there? Okay. And he yielded. 
You can't live on the edge of sin and not be influenced it. And so his conscience is becoming dull. He's reached a point where he finds himself at home. And that's what happens with sin. You, you, you begin to entertain yourself on it. What once amazed you will now amuse you. So, you know, last week they had a major movie on Hallmark of two gay men. Fox went south on us. Did a five-minute piece on how a child supposedly, before he could speak, this little girl knew he was a boy. And, of course, her mother wrote a best-selling book when he was five. All week long, they've been doing ads about Gay Pride Month. In fact, when we get to chapter 19, we're going to find Lot was a VIP. He's in the city gates. Turn to Genesis 19. When you come to Genesis 19... The chapter reminds us of a very biblical truth that God is long-suffering, but he doesn't hold his wrath and anger forever. David said, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us nor keep his anger forever. And so in Genesis 19, God lets his anger go and he expresses how he feels about the sin of sodomy. Let me set the context for you. In Genesis 18, if you're familiar with it, you have the record of uh, God revealing to Abraham that he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. In fact, in 18 and verse 20, it says, And the Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. And when we come to 19 and verse 13, the angel said to Lot, for we're about to destroy this place because their outcry, there it is again, their outcry has become so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Twice over, God says his ears in heaven are listening to the heinousness of the sin of sodomy that is unfolding in this city. It's an outcry that is so great that it's going to bring the wrath of God. And it's sobering that there are sounds that God hears that we don't hear. The sin of the LGBTQIA lifestyle is producing an outcry. And we may not think that God is listening and watching, but he is. And I wonder what he hears from Atlanta or San Francisco or Boston or Dallas or Charleston or maybe even our own city. Well, in Abraham's day, there was a horrendous outcry. The twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah invited the wrath of God. Never before or since has God ever literally rained fire and brimstone down on a place. And the New Testament tells us twice over that what he did in Sodom and Gomorrah tells us how he feels about this. And so if you think God is in favor, as Tim Keller says, of same-sex attracted Christians, you're wrong. That's like saying, well, I'm just a lustful, homosexual, lustful, uh, heterosexual man. No lust is to be repented of. And same-sex feelings are to be repented on and brought under the sanctifying power of the Spirit of God. But when you've got a so-called apologist like Keller or Sam Alberry, who's making his way into all these evangelical platforms and people, oh yeah, maybe this is what we need to do. And so they come out of the closet, much like they did in America, or they started to some 35 years ago. And sadly, this month is Pride Month. And what they call pride, God calls wicked. Verse 1, 19, chapter 19. Now two angels came to Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. Now the Bible teaches that sometimes angels come as humans, and whenever they show up in Scripture, they always show up as men. That's why the writer of the Hebrews says that you can entertain an angel and not even know it. 
So these two angels, they don't look like angels, they look like two men. And it's interesting because if you remember from chapter 18 and verse 2, and when he, Abraham, lifted up his eyes and looked, behold, three men were standing opposite him. And if you study chapter 18, there's two quote-unquote normal angels and then one different kind of angel. He's called the angel of the Lord. The word malak means messenger, like angelos in Greek, both languages. Maybe better term the messenger of the Lord because he's no normal angel. He is called God, he is called Yahweh. It's one of the pre-incarnate appearances of the Lord Jesus before Bethlehem. And that's why after Bethlehem, you never see the angel, the Lord again. But he doesn't come into Sodom. Well, God is comfortable being with Abraham because he's walking with the Lord. But he's not comfortable going to Sodom where Lot is. Because Lot is out of fellowship with God. He doesn't feel at home with him. And yet he is a believer, as we will see. But in saying this, neither does God abandon Lot. He's one of his own. And so he loves him with an everlasting love, and he sends him with two, two angels there to rescue him. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. Sitting in the gate speaks volume to me because it tells me that he's involved as one of the city fathers. It's in the gate of the city where business was conducted, where legal matters were done. He's become a big shot. He lived on the edge, moved into Sodom. Now he's a big shot in Sodom. He's one of the leaders in Sodom. He has pledged himself to uphold the laws of Sodom, which would include some of the perversion and deviation from what man knows to be true because the law of God is written in his heart, and yet he pledges to uphold these laws. I understand it's not like, well, I moved into Sodom and then things got bad. It was bad ever before he got there. We already read, now the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. He just got used to it. He felt at home with it. And he was ignoring the great moral implications it would have on his family. He's a man. Hey, man. How you doing, Mr. Lott? Everybody tips his head. How's Mrs. Lott doing? Hope all is well. How are those little lots at home? Fine, thank you. Everything is well. And he's wealthy. He's prosperous. He thinks God is blessing him beyond measure. Little does he know he's about to lose it all. So sitting here in the gate, of course, he immediately knows, notices these two angels. Let's keep reading. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. He knew these were no ordinary people. And he said, now behold, my lords, please turn aside into your servant's house. Spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go your way. He has no idea why they've come. He thinks these angels are just like tourists or businessmen passing through. They said, no, but we shall spend the night in the square. We'll just camp out tonight. Thank you, but no thank you for your hospitality. But knowing the immorality of Sodom, Lot doesn't want that to happen. It's like these angels are testing him, verse 3. Yet he urged them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house, and he prepared a feast for them and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. So far, so good. But what follows is shocking. Some of the most deviant behavior recorded in Scripture. Verse 4, before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom surrounded the house, both young and old, all the people from every quarter. Don't miss that. Like a little bit of leaven, it permeates the whole loaf. This sin had permeated the city. Men from every quarter and from every age, young and old alike. And that's what's happening in America today. Americans are becoming more and more accepting 
of this wicked lifestyle. And again, the things you will laugh at and entertain yourself with, before long you'll embrace. Now all across America, state and federal laws are being written against born-again believers. And I think what we've got coming down in the next 100 to 200 days based on the executive order, you should go online and read it. We're in for a ride like we've never seen. There was a time when laws were written against this behavior. In fact, that's what the Apostle Paul tells us is to happen. That laws are written in a society for those who are deviant. Not made, he said, for, they're not made for a righteous man, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly, for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers or whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. Some people have already left this morning, and I'm sure I know why. But I just want you to know, this is what the Word of God says, and so your argument is not with me. It is with Holy Scripture. And God tells us that these laws are written not to condone this behavior, but to curb it. Because God knows when sins like these are left unchecked, it will invite the judgment of God, and it will be like a cancer that will destroy a people. Please note that God does not in this verse view homosexuality like some genetic predisposition. I spoke to the head, the CEO of a major Christian organization two weeks ago. I won't tell you who yet. I'm hoping he's going to work through it. He said, well, Sam Alberry, who's one of his speakers, this former pastor, he says he's always had an attraction to men. I said, one of two things happened with that man. I said, he was either abused as a young boy, sodomized or fondled or something by some other man, and so he had such shame, he didn't know how to deal with that shame, and so he tries to justify the shame, and so he was a flagrant living homosexual, supposedly has repented of that, but now argues you can have same-sex attraction and be a good Christian, and I won't tell you all the ways that you can express that because it's not fitting for this audience. I said he was either sodomized or he's just a downright liar. But I said, you are letting evil in the front door of your organization. Now notice these men at Lot's doorstep in verse 5. And they called to Lot and said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may have relations with them. Here are these sodomites who are unashamed of their lifestyle, yelling for the men in the house that they can have intimate relations with them. And by the way, when God describes something like this, he always does it in a way that it's not sedacious. So you should never have to fear about your children being taught from Scripture, at least if it's taught what, what God says. Now, there are these liberal theologians today. There are these churches all across America this month that are having drag queen story hour to, to pray with their children. And they're having all these services with gay and lesbian people, Church of Christ, United Church of Christ, United Methodists, on and on and they will rationalize by using a text like Ezekiel 16 and they'll say well the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was not homosexuality but a lack of hospitality 
However, the New Testament commentary given by the Spirit of God in Jude verse 7 tells us, no, it was the sin of homosexuality, gross immorality. Let me read to you what Ezekiel wrote. As I live, declares the Lord God. Notice, Lord, capital G-O-D. So Elohim, Yahweh. God is underscoring his, his powerful nature, and yet he's the covenant God of Israel. As I live, declares the Lord God, Sodom, your sister, and her daughters have not done as you and your daughters have done. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had arrogance, abundant food, and careless ease, and she did not help the poor and needy. So God outlines us for the sin of Sodom. The very first sin he calls pride. The King James renders it arrogance. And the Bible plainly says, God is opposed to the proud. And I fear maybe someone listening to me today will not become a believer because of your pride. Because of your unwillingness to admit your spiritual inability to save yourself. Notice the second sin. The sin of gluttony. The New American Standard renders it here. Abundant food. The King James has fullness of bread. That's God's way of just saying the people were more focused on feeding the, the desires of the flesh than they were on spiritual things. Paul says in Philippians of unbelievers, their God is their belly. Third, we're told they were guilty of careless ease. That is, they were idle. The Living Bible paraphrases this by saying they were guilty of pride, too much food, and laziness. And by the way, if you're a dad, you should teach your child how to work. Teach them how to sweat. Get them off of some of those stupid video games that are destroying their lives. Fourth, we learn that they were selfish and that they did not help the poor and needy. And that's all capped off with, notice, abominations. Verse 50 says, Thus they were haughty and committed abominations before me. Therefore I removed them when I saw it. Well, what were these abominations? Ezekiel doesn't have to spell it out because everyone was familiar with Genesis 19. Just like the pagan nations were familiar that God split the Red Sea and the Jewish people came through in dry land. They were familiar with the great flood and they were familiar with what God had done in Sodom and Gomorrah, that those people were guilty of sexual perversion. But if you did not understand Ezekiel and somehow you missed it, all you would need to do was read the New Testament, like Romans 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Jude verse chapter 1, or 2 Peter chapter 2. And yes, people tell me, well, Jesus never spoke about homosexuality. Every once in a while, that's asked in the Bible line. Yes, he did speak about, against homosexuality. You say, where? In Matthew 5, 17, Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets. That includes Leviticus. That includes Deuteronomy. Not to mention, by virtue of his definition of marriage, he spoke against homosexuality. Have you not read, he said to the Pharisees, that he, God, who created them from the beginning, made them male and female, and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? Again, in 2 Peter 2, 6, God tells us this, that he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly thereafter. Jude 7 says he reduced them to ashes. And he said there, it's not only a picture of how he feels against his sin, but it's a picture of the eternal fire yet to come in a place called hell. If you enjoyed today's message, you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and requesting program God's Prophetic Schedule 006. Every word that Pastor Carl preached today was from the Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, 
for correction, and for training in righteousness. Have you ever wondered how you can prove the Bible to be true? Well, in Dr. Brogy's book, How to Prove the Bible is True, Pastor Carl examines five crucial evidences that prove the Bible is the Word of God, and he will share how you can definitively and accurately convey these truths to others. With a donation of any amount, you can receive a copy of How to Prove the Bible is True by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 to receive your copy today. We hope that you will join us tomorrow as we continue to Search the Scriptures.